What's up, friends and family? Uh, we are now in quarantine cut stage, and so you finna get fitted hat, Tori, until uh, we are able to get that fresh cut again. So, uh, hey, I'm excited to continue in our Sovereign series. We're on week three of four, really looking at the sovereignty of God uh, and how this should bring us comfort, the idea that he's over all of this, he's in control of all of this, and even understanding in the midst of this coronavirus, this quarantine season. And so the first week, we looked at how, hey, it's okay to bring your questions, your lamenting, your emotions to God. He actually wants you to come to him. That's a good thing. His sovereignty gives you access to him. And then last week, we looked at how, I mean, God is good in the midst of his sovereignty. In fact, because he's good, we can trust his control. We can place our faith that he will work things out for our good. And that is a good thing. And today, I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about what God could be doing in the midst of this season. In Job chapter 37, it's one of my uh, favorite verses in all of Job. The context of this verse that's going to be on the screen in a second is uh, it's raining in the land. And so you see this idea of rain. And in Job chapter 37, verse 13, it says this, it says, whether for correction or for his land or for love, he, God, causes it to happen. In other words, there are multiple things that God is likely doing with every singular event. He is doing different things in the midst of each event to bring different purposes for the sake of his name and the good of his people. And so with the rain, sometimes it might be for the land to give it nourishment and to care for it. Sometimes it might be for correction, like with the flood or in different other situations. Sometimes it's because he loves his people. He wants produce to grow that we may eat. God is doing something different in the midst of one singular event because he is not a limited God, nor is he a sterile God, nor is he a passive or an inactive God. God is at work in the midst of this. And so we can trust that. So while there may be a hundred different things that God is doing in this coronavirus, in this quarantine season, I want to look at a couple of things that I believe God is doing, even with our church during this time and with you as an individual. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We'll be in Luke chapter eight today. Um, If you don't have a Bible, feel free to pause the video and go grab one. Look, we want your eyes on the word, okay? God's word speaks. And so please phone, your book, whatever it might be, please have the word in front of you this morning. Um, As you turn to Luke 8, listen, God is sovereign in the midst of chaos. And in fact, he's not out of control. God is completely in control. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Simultaneously, though, we are not passive participants just hoping that God's goodness is going to win out. We're not sitting back just inactive. When God redeemed you, when he called you a son or a daughter, when you were blood bought by the Lamb of God, he not just brought you into right relationship with God, he actually redeemed your soul to begin to give you purpose. He called you into the kingdom that you may bring the kingdom of heaven on on earth as it is in heaven. He called you to be co-laborers, participants with God to push back darkness. In other words, when you got saved, you got purpose. And so even in the midst of this season, that means we have purpose in the midst of this. You see, the gospel is not just good news because it gives us access to ask God questions. Praise God, we can come to God. It's not just good news because it makes us right with God, but it also it commissions us and it gives our lives meaning. God has always used times of trial to bring great glory to himself, and this time isn't any different, family. 
In fact, if you remember as a church, if you've been with us for a while, back in January, we started a series in 2 Timothy. And what we said in that series is we felt like God was calling us as a church body and calling us as individuals to really make a spiritual impact in the city of Austin. That God wants to use the gifts that he's given you. God wants to use the places where he's placed you to highlight the beauty of his name, both as a church and as individuals where you live, work, and play. Now, in January, we couldn't have imagined that the place you'd be living is back with your parents again, right? (laughs) Or that the coworkers you're interacting with is actually over Zoom. Like, we didn't know that, but God knew that. God is sovereign. He's in control. And so I don't think that it was a mistake that God placed this burden on our hearts to make an impact in our city. God knew this was coming. He was not out of control when he led us to think about making much of his name. He knew that we would be in March and April and May and maybe June and July and who knows how long. God knows all of that, though. And he pushed this on our heart anyway. God is not sitting idle in heaven waiting for Corona to pass over before he he gets to work. God is at work right now, family. He's moving amongst all this. And God by no means does evil, nor does he take pleasure in evil. But when evil comes, what the enemy meant for evil, God always flips it on his head and uses it for good always, period. God uses all things for good, including this season. And so what is God wanting to do in the midst of the season, even with us? How is he wanting to use us? Where is he guiding us possibly in this season? My question is, what if he's using this to do a beautifully great work? And what if he still wants to use you and still wants to use the well as a church family to still push back darkness and to carry the spiritual mantle for Austin and to highlight the beauty of Christ? He's sovereign, he's in control, and he can use the chaos of the world to bring order inside of souls. And so I think that's what we're doing here. We see that all throughout scripture. The scripture is not silent on this idea of suffering. It's littered throughout the pages, maybe one of the biggest themes in scripture. And we're going to look at another story where we see God's sovereignty at work in the midst of somebody's suffering today. And I hope you see how it relates with our suffering. And so if you turn to Luke chapter 8, we're going to be in verses 42 through 48. And I'm going to have my good friend Anderson Lopez read that for us. Hi guys, I'm Anderson. I'm a Covenant community member at The Well and I serve as a team lead for The Well Kids. I miss you guys like crazy during these bizarre times. I've been super thankful to still be able to connect with my CG and friends um, to help this pass by a little bit easier. Um, But this morning I'm going to be reading out of Luke chapter 8 verses 42 through 48. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive the power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thank you, Anderson. Uh, several things here to help us with the context. First of all, that word pressing in the Greek, it's actually a word that Jesus just used in a parable in the last chapter when he talked about the thorns crushing the plant that tries to grow up, the parable of the seed. And so it's choking, literally, is the word that's translated there. And it's also used in the New Testament for when people uh, press wine or grapes in the wine press, which, if you know, they stepped on them and they crushed them. In other words, dude is getting crushed here. Okay, that's what's going on in the context. In fact, if you've ever been uh, overseas in certain countries where personal space isn't the same as it is in America, you might kind of understand that a little bit. I remember the first time when I went to a specific country, uh, I got off the plane and it was like 2.30 in the morning and there were still like a million point three people in the airport. And I was like, what is going on, right? And so we get on this bus to go to uh, this hotel and I'm like, yo, you are not my wife. Like, only my wife should be that close to my body, right? And like, I felt crushed in a way. And so uh, if you've ever been that, you get that context. If you haven't, just imagine it. It's like that times 50, right? Because everybody wants to be around Jesus. They're pressing in on him, trying to get close, listen to him, touch him. So imagine the scene. If you can even close your eyes, picture this scene for a minute. And now in comes a woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, the scripture says. Now, in that culture, she would have been unclean because people didn't know if she was contagious or not. If they touched her, if, she, if they'll get what she had, if she's harmful in some way because of this. And so, like, imagine even right now, like, if somebody was in the store, just walked up to you without a mask and was like, <coughs> you'd be like, hey, bro, you trying to scrap? Shoot. Knuck if you buck, boy. Right? <laughs> And we got modern medicine, right? Like, and so before we go judging all of our privilege, let's remember the context, right? All of a sudden, the scriptures get real, right? And so here she is. Imagine this woman, right, unable to uh, really go towards Jesus. And we be feeling all some sort of way because we've been in quarantine for a month. She's been in quarantine for 12 years. Like, imagine how she's feeling at this moment, right? She would not have been able to participate in religious worship. She wouldn't have been able to go listen to the guided gatherings back in the day. Those ain't exist, right? Like, her social life was cut off. She was a cast out in society. Luke, in fact, he's a doctor. That's his profession by trade. So when Luke says that she spent everything that she had, he's acknowledging the inadequacy of his profession. She needs something divine. She needs something that humans can't offer. And so she starts thinking, if I can just go touch Jesus, if I can just find a way to even just the edge of his robe. And so here she is. She does something actually illegal. She kind of finds her way through the crowd. Remember, they're pressing in on him. And she's probably excusing herself, touching all these other people just to go touch the edge of his clothing, hoping that it will work. And it does. She's healed. In fact, her faith in this Jesus, in this Messiah, it heals her. But verse 48 is really important because it doesn't just heal her, it actually saves her. Her faith has made her well. Whenever Luke uses that phrase, your faith has made you well, he doesn't just mean you're physically better. It's an acknowledgement that uh, Jesus always makes to an individual when they have believed in him to be the Messiah, the savior of the world, they are spiritually saved is what Luke is trying to show us here, restored holistically because of her faith. In simple terms, she became a Christian. She became a follower of Jesus. And all of this happened because of what? Her suffering. 
That's what led her to the feet of Christ in the first place, which that's the first point. We'll be there on your screen for you. But God uses suffering to bring people to faith or into right relationship with God. You see, here's the reality with her. Like, she could have been healed many, many years before that. Could she not have? Like, God could have used the physicians, as he often does, use us to be his hands and feet. God could have miraculously healed her or way early in her life, but he allowed her to suffer for 12 years. She may have even been lamenting to God in the past, like we talked about in week one. But if God had healed her, let's say one week after this condition started, do you think she would have been this desperate to be searching for Jesus like this? My guess is no. My guess is it was her suffering that led her to the feet of Jesus in the first place. God is sovereign over suffering in that he used her suffering to draw her to himself. By no means does God take pleasure in it, but he does take purpose in it, family. God is moving in this. Her suffering leads her to the feet of Jesus, and God loves her. And so literally what this means is that he cares about her eternal soul and the saving of it more than he cared about her momentary suffering because he knew that her momentary suffering would lead to her eternal security. And God is for that always. He's a good father who sometimes allows, or dare I say even causes, things to happen that eternal peace may happen later. I think about even as me as a, my, a father, I remember with Micaiah, my oldest, um, she was like a crazy stellar child, right? And so she like never cried and like literally never cried. I remember at her two month appointment, I actually asked the doctor like, hey, what's wrong with her? Like she never cries. And he knows I'm a pastor, I'm a Christian. And he was like, God is just giving you favor, brother. <laughs> all right? Now my other three kids, they ain't like that, all right? So it ain't like I got that kind of favor, right? Uh, but I remember she literally like almost never cried. And so it was time to give her shots actually. And so I remember kind of being a little bit nervous about to give her shots, which I know we're in Austin. All right. So if you ain't about that shot life, look, you do you. I ain't judging you. Don't be judging me. Let me do me. All right. Uh, But we had to give her shots. And so they said, okay, hey, hold her leg. And they stabbed that needle in and her face just turned. And she just let out this cry I'd never heard before. And I start, I'm going to start crying right now. I started crying because she was suffering. Right. And so listen, I allowed, or I even orchestrated her suffering, her temporary pain, so that she may have a better future with the wisdom that I have. I would rather have her feel a little prick and a little sore for a day than to die of some sickness later. That's my understanding of what shots are doing. And if I, with finite wisdom, think that about my child, God with infinite wisdom, does he not do this more, family? Is he not active in this? Like any good father, he will willingly allow us to suffer for two or 10 or even 80 years if it means eternal salvation. God is good. Like what does 80 years compare to eternity? It doesn't. There is no comparison, right? Like if we were to turn this whole screen white right now and have one little black speck on the screen and say that that is like earth compared to eternity, that wouldn't be accurate even if you got an 80-inch bougie TV, right? (laughs) Like it wouldn't even come close to comparing. God allowed her suffering that she might be saved, and God may be allowing this suffering, corona, that you might be saved that others might feel their way towards God. And I'm telling you, salvation is worth it. 
In fact, those of us in here who came to Christ later in life, we can probably tell you that most of us came when we were pretty low. It was suffering that led us to realizing that this earth is not our home. And in that suffering, we probably tried all these other things. And after nothing else satisfied, we dove at the feet of Jesus and found redemption. And on this side of salvation, we would tell you that all of that suffering was worth it. In fact, I would go through all that suffering times a billion because at the end of my life, I get a billion times a billion to the billionth power with God forever. I get eternity, y'all. Like eternity is at stake. But notice an important thing. She actually had to take an action first. You see, she had to risk it. She had to dive at the feet of Jesus. And so what does this look like for you? What is your next step in maybe understanding who this God, this Savior is? Maybe he's been stirring up your interests in spiritual things, wanting you to come to him. And I would encourage you, he wants you to come to him. He's ready for you. Come to him. In fact, like maybe your next step might be to go through one of the classes that Steph mentioned. Juhan's going through a Reason for God study. It's a study on how we can believe in who God is by an author named Tim Keller. And maybe you're still wrestling with like, why does God allow evil? Or if he's good, why is this? It answers all those questions and gives you a reason to believe in God. Maybe you go through that. Or maybe if you're a Christian, you take somebody else through it with you and you bring them into it. Once again, God does not necessarily cause, but he does necessarily use it. God uses all things. And so it may be hard to trust his sovereignty. You may be like my daughter with the shots. Like, hey, that's okay. That's why we started this with lamenting. It's okay to go to God with our feelings, but God wastes nothing. And I believe that he is not wasting this season, but using it to draw people toward himself. And I want to be a part of that family because, see, here's the deal. Jesus could have just left this story alone, right? Like he could have allowed her to be healed, to be amazed and to be like, wow, how crazy. And just to go on about her way. But God is too good to do that. And so he doesn't just use suffering to make us right with God. He also uses suffering to make us like God. And so point two is that God uses suffering to make us more like Jesus. You see, in this story here, Jesus stops he says, who touched me, right? Peter's like, come on, bro. People all up on you like this a ludicrous music video, right? Like, what do you mean who touched you, okay? But Jesus doesn't give up, right? Uh, and listen, this woman's worst fear is now being realized. Like, here she is. He is making her go public in front of all of, these people are crushing Jesus. There's so many of them. And he's making her go public. Why would he do this to her? Is he being mean? Like, she's probably an introvert too, right? And he's still making her go out in front of everyone. No, that's not what he's doing. He has given her purpose in full restoration, not just making her right with God, but also using this opportunity to make her right with others. You see, she would have chosen to stay hidden, but Jesus made her come out and confess before all that she may see who God is and that she may see who she is in God, which is clean, a daughter of God now. He's restoring her identity. Hallelujah, right? This is good news. When you come to the feet of Jesus, he reveals to you who he is and who you are. 
And so it's good to come to the feet. Notice he calls her daughter there. In fact, uh, this term is extremely rare, and it's especially unique in this situation because this woman was actually likely older than Jesus, and yet and still he calls her daughter because he's actually eternal, right? And he knows he's inviting her into this family. Jesus calling her daughter is giving her value even before he sent her or commissioned her. In fact, even before he proclaims salvation has come upon her, he gives her identity again, calling her a daughter. You see, her value was not in being sent or being used by God to help others see who God is. Her value was in the fact that God saw her. That he sees her and wants to move in her. So you may think that you have no value. Like that just isn't true. You see, she was likely conditioned by society to think that she was worthless in society. And that much more worthless in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said, bump that. That ain't true. Right? That's not the reality at all. This undesired one flung herself toward the most valued one. And in that culture, when you were unclean and touched somebody, you actually made them unclean as well. But this unclean woman goes and touches Jesus, the most cleanliest one to ever live. And instead of him becoming unclean, she becomes clean and redeemed. You see, when our sin comes upon each other, we actually harm each other. When our sin comes upon Jesus, he restores and redeems us, y'all. And that is good news. This woman is being redeemed. He gives her identity. And by forcing her to come out, he's about to restore her in front of everyone. You see, where she had been called an outcast, God of the universe is now welcoming her home. Where she likely had no husband because of this condition, now she is about to receive the groom, Jesus. Where she was wanted by no one, now the Christ of the universe calls her a precious daughter. God is restoring her. This is actually a part of her sanctification even, her becoming more like Jesus. You see, sanctification is not just us acting more like Christ and our morals changing, though it is that too, but it's also us realizing who we are in Christ and believing in that identity that he's restoring us and bringing us home. And that's what he's doing for her right now, making her more like him. And he wants her to see that. And in doing this, he gives her boldness, removing her timidity, raising her up in these beautiful ways. You see, he's making her enter into this brief moment of additional suffering. Like, look at the words it uses there. She has this fear. She's trembling, it says. She has to proclaim before all. God is still sovereignly using suffering that he might further heal her and give her confidence, setting her up to be used by God and therefore making her more like Christ. Come on, y'all. This is good news. God is using even that moment of suffering to make her more like Jesus. God does not waste suffering. God is the redeemer of all things, y'all. God redeems all things. He works all things to his good, for his glory. And this is good news for us. Finally, though, God also uses suffering not just to make her right with God or like God, but he also commissions her and gives her mission here. You see, even in the story, God actually prepped Jesus to be on mission with him. If you read the context of the story, Jesus is actually on another task. This is not his original intent here. He was actually going to do a whole other thing. And if you read that story and think about suffering, it makes this story pop even more, honestly. But Jesus was on his way somewhere else. And then all of a sudden, this popped up and Jesus stopped to minister. And maybe you were on your way somewhere else, but then Corona popped up. And maybe God is calling you to stop and minister. 
to pause and to say, who around me needs the love of Jesus in this season? Who needs to be served? Who needs to hear the good news of the gospel? You see, we can often get so lost in our calling that we actually miss the people that Jesus is laying at our feet. Jesus didn't miss them. When they came to the feet of Jesus, he ministered to them. God is orchestrating things, not just for your growth and not uh, just for you to come to God, but also to give you mission, to let you partner with him, that others may know him. You see, this woman here, she was trying to keep her faith private, if we're honest with the text, right? And he forced her to go public. But through this, she then proclaimed before all, it says, and gave a public testimony of her healing, therefore pointing to the beauty of God. He's using her as soon as she gets saved. He's bringing her into the story and letting her be a part. And then he commissions her to go in peace, it says. Now, the way we use that word peace is kind of like, hey, go be well. But that's not actually what it's saying here. That word peace, shalom, actually gives the idea of all things being put back together the way they're supposed to. So think about like a thousand piece puzzle and you're missing like 40 pieces. You can get a lot of it, but you're never going to finish the puzzle, right? I don't know why I use I hate puzzles. I don't know why I use that analogy, right? But literally you need those other 40 pieces. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, go be those other 40 pieces to the world. Go bring peace. Go fill this up, the shalom of God. God is trying to make right the world. And so God sent the shalom of God, Jesus, that we might receive him and then go be the shalom of God, Jesus to others. That's what he's telling her to do here. God is sending her to make things right. In other words, here's the, all of what Jesus did in these six verses. Jesus actually saved her spiritually. Jesus healed her physically. Jesus restored her socially and gave her purpose, Occasionally piecing all things together. Come on, yo. This is good, good news. And God wants to do the same thing with you and wants to use all of these things to literally make much of his name. Your suffering might be the very thing that accomplishes his purpose, and his purpose is your good. It is your good always. And listen, y'all, we can see this most clearly in the son Jesus, can we not? You see, God is not sitting up in heaven on some high horse, unable to understand us as we are suffering. But he actually, you serve a God that enters into suffering with you and still serves in suffering as the Holy Spirit dwells inside of these mortal bodies that is riddled with sin. Like he still suffers with us. We don't serve some distant God. We serve a close God that enters into this with us. You see, Jesus in many ways became this woman for us. At the cross, you see Jesus, the bleeding one. At the cross, you see Jesus, the unclean one, not even uh, willing to be touched by the guards as they reach out a sponge to touch Jesus's face. Like he's the untouchable one. Why? So that you and I who are like the woman who are unclean and untouchable and should not be able to come into the presence of God might now live with him for eternity. Jesus became broken that you might be whole. Jesus entered suffering that you might enter glory forever. You see, your feeling of not desiring to suffer, that's a right and it's a good feeling. You weren't created for this. One day there will be no more suffering. That itself is an apologetic that we are not at home and that we are made for something better. And so all of this is pointing to the beauty and the majesty of God. Y'all, God is in work in the midst of this. 
And so what do we do in the midst of this? How do we even begin to apply it this week? I have three things real quick for you. You can pause if you want. In fact, if you're with community groups, you can do this together if you want to right now. Uh, But the first point, I want you to pray. Okay. In fact, I want you to pray for two people in your life who don't know God and ask that God would help use you to help them see God even in the midst of the season. I think about on our own staff team and somebody that a lot of us love so much, Huli. Uh, she has been a Christian actually for 10 years. This past week was her 10-year anniversary. And uh, it's beautiful the way that she has grown. But the whole time she's wanted to see her mom enter into this reality of God with her. She loves her mom, cares for her mom, and has often told her mom about Jesus. Well, lo and behold, this past week she asked her mom if she would like to read the Bible with her. And her mom said, yes, y'all. Like, what good news? God may be using this little bit of fear, the suffering, this corona, to actually heighten Huli's mom for spiritual sensitivity, and maybe Jesus will meet her in the midst of that. I think God wants to do the same thing with all of us. So pray, be bold, share, invite people in. Go through the reason of God's study with others, whatever it is. Like, man, I want you to pray and ask that God would use you during this season. The second thing I would love for application is for us to pray, okay? Uh, If you're suffering, I want you to pray and ask God what he's trying to do in and through you during this season. Like, where is he trying to draw you closer to himself? Where you don't trust him, listen, pray and confess that and lament to God. It's okay. That's why we started it with lamenting. But pray and ask, what is God doing in the midst of this? God is not a wasteful God. He's doing something, family. I love this quote, actually, by Tabidi Anyabwile. He's a pastor and a writer. And he says, when suffering comes, say to it, hello, my dear friend, produce in me the works God has designed for you to do and bring me into greater glory. Maybe you pray that today. And then the third thing I would love for us to do is pray. I want us to pray this week, okay? Maybe you just started joining us because you're interested in spiritual things. Maybe this whole season has brought you to wonder what God is doing in the midst of this. I want you to pray and ask God to show himself to you. You have to take some action of faith like the woman did. And that action could just be reaching and lifting up your voice to God. And I believe that God wants to reveal himself to you. In fact, I believe he's probably already revealed himself in multiple ways. Help him, ask him to help you see that. And so, listen, let this not just ring true in Corona, but let this ring true in the rest of your life, that you believe that God is not idle in your suffering. You believe that God is doing something. And it may feel like uh, it did two weeks ago, that you're confused and lamenting. Listen, I don't want to overlook that. That is okay, y'all. But God is doing something, and we can trust his sovereignty, that he is at work. And I believe that he wants to use this season, not just for us as individuals, but even us as a church body, to highlight the beauty of his name. And so let us then, who have received this salvation, receive the peace of God, go to others and be the peace of God for them. Amen? Amen. Hey, I love you guys like crazy so much. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you use suffering, that you are active, you're moving in the midst of this season. You are not passive, God. We don't serve a distant God, but a present God. 
And so, God, I pray for all of us who are watching, who maybe we don't know you. Maybe we're like the woman. We're curious. We want to be healed. I pray that we would bow down at your feet. That maybe even right now during this worship set or prayer in our rooms later, we would just give our lives to you, Christ. We would say, I believe in you, Jesus. I want to follow you. And God, I pray you would use us. And God, for those of us who have called you Savior, I pray that we would see what you are doing in our lives, that every unexpected twist and turn is not unexpected to you. You're moving in the midst of it, and you want to use those things for our good and for your glory. And so let us trust your sovereignty. You are sovereign. You are good. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are. And we pray that even this last song that we do, God, that it would be a worshipful response to who you are and that we would sing out the beauty of your name. Thank you, Jesus. Praise in your beautiful name. Amen.